Good morning. Uh, a couple things I want to share with you this morning. This is the time that we set aside in our service to do what we call prayer and share. Uh, time to uh, just be able to share some things that are going on and be able to join together and, and pray. Um, so we have a, a neat opportunity this morning. Um, what I wanted to do is kind of um, catch everybody up to speed. We have um, this uh, little youth thing we do at the church. We call it Krabby. What does Krabby stand for? All right, so there, it's not just because we're crabby, even though sometimes we are. It's culturally relevant and biblically based youth, an acronym that goes way back in Family Bible Church, probably, I don't know, six years, something like that, um, that we've kind of carried through. So we meet every week, and we've been studying for weeks and weeks and weeks on this teeny tiny little book in the Old Testament called Malachi. Um, we shared that with you guys. I think I encouraged you to be reading through it. Our students have been reading through it. And uh, basically what the book of Malachi has been teaching us, and, and a lot of other things, but the kind of main thing it's been teaching us is uh, to be unblemished sacrifices, that our lives are to be sacrifices set aside for the Lord, and they're to be unblemished. And we're talking about the obedient side of this faith journey that, uh, that, that some of us are on, some of us are learning about, some of us are, are questioning, um, but we're all just kind of talking through this together. So in that, we've been discussing um, ever since before Christmas, um, you know, how we're going to kind of put feet to our faith. Um, we, we've talked a lot about personal application, and we've also talked about um, our response in that, our response, what does God call us to? So um, basically what happened was we shared quite a few weeks ago before Christmas that we had an opportunity to go out and to join a bunch of other youth groups and um, decorate Christmas trees, um, kind of a crazy thing for a, for a tour of Greenville, and we, um, in doing so, got a donation to our youth group, and uh, I think it was, uh, I think at first it was $100. We were going to go do this thing, which turned out to be tons of fun. It took us about I don't know, three minutes to decorate the tree, and then we got creative, and it took another 15. And then the wind knocked down our tree, so it took another 10. But anyway, we did this, and then we went and had a great time, and we got our check, and it was $200, so it grew a little bit. They also fed us that day, and the kids had brought, uh, the crabby students that went with us brought money for food. And so at the end of the day, I said, hey, you know, they fed us, so if you want to donate your money to our cause, do so. So we're up to over $200 that we've that we've got. And um, with that donation, the people who gave us the check said, we want you to take this and to, to sew it into another ministry. You know, just go, um, you know, see what the Lord does with it. So we've been praying through that as a group week in and week out. And um, so we, we had some really cool ideas that came up. I won't share all of them because uh, we don't have a lot of time, but talk to us. The, the kids came up with some really interesting ideas of how to use that money. And um, so as we prayed through it, um, like orphans and, and children um, in less fortunate situations just kept coming up. It just kept coming up. And so I wanted to challenge the women in the ladies Bible study. Um, what does, I believe it's James one twenty seven say? Yep, that's it. Any ladies remember James 1? It's, I know it's hard because you've been memorizing the whole book, some of you, and, and, uh, it says this. I'll give you, I'll give you the start in the NIV. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. All right, I heard it. I heard it quietly, yeah. It says, to look over orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And that's a verse that we've been, you know, we've been bringing up for years. Every time we would go and do, um, we did a service project uh, about a year ago for um, a widowed lady who lost her family and needed some help. And so that's something that's been really important to us. So that's what we've been coming back to. So basically, long story short, we have um, worked through a lot of planning and um, we are really wanting to get involved with an organization um, called the Oblong uh, Christian Children's Home. Is that right? 
Children's Christian Home. Okay, the two C's through me. So, um, Amy, if you'd like to come up here, what we've done this morning is we have a neat opportunity. We invited Amy to come join us, and Amy is the representative for the Oblong Children's Christian Home. All right, and um, she's here from Oblong, Illinois. How many of you know where Oblong, Illinois is? Nice. Hey, we got some hands. Good job. Lori, you only know because you talk to her, but you answered the question, right? <laughs> That's right. She did good. All right. So um, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn it over to Amy and she's going to share with us a little bit about what's going on. And then um, I'll come back whenever you're done and kind of share with the church um, what their involvement can be. And we'll kind of move forward. All right. Great. Well, I just want to say thank you for having me here this morning. Um, my job at the Children's Home is to uh, travel the state of Illinois and actually Indiana as well and tell folks about our ministry and um, just thank folks who want to be involved or have been involved in the past. And so I'm on the road a lot, but I absolutely love being in new places and worshiping with new people and understanding that we're all part of this great thing called the church and that unites us whether I see you ever again or don't see you till the day we step foot in heaven together. It's, it's an exciting thing for me to do that. And then to be able to work with some of you hopefully in the next few weeks as, as you have a group coming in and working with us that will be even more exciting so let me just say thank you for welcoming me welcoming me here and and giving me just a few minutes to talk about our ministry if you'll move on to the next slide um, I, I want to tell you about our ministry in pictures because just for me to spout off a, a mission statement would be unfortunate because you know you all can read mission statements uh, that's what ours looks like and you can pick that up on brochures that I have out there by our ministry table um, but instead of doing that, let me show you some photos. So move on to that next one. We believe, first of all, that God wants us to grow families in homes. And so we provide family-style homes. Now, there's a lot of models for children's homes out there. Um, there's There are institutional-type models where a child who, who needs out-of-home placement might go to a facility, and it, it's kind of sterile in the way that they talk about those things. And, and you might have a child who comes to that facility when they're seven years old, and, and there's a seven-year-old, eight-year-old boy's home that has an AM, AM house parent set, a PM house parent set, and then when they turn nine, 10, 11, they go to another home and they have more house parents. Unfortunately, there are some scenarios out there where they end up having 15 to 20 sets of house parents during the time that they grow up at a home. And that just takes a child from a chaotic situation and puts that child into another chaotic situation. So our homes are permanent homes for those children. Once they step foot onto our campus, there's no saying, I'd rather live with them or I'd rather go to that house. You don't have that opportunity when you were born into a family. Children coming onto our campus have a home that they live in with their mom and their dad, and sometimes they actually choose to call them mom and dad for the duration of their time on our home. Our homes look pretty modest. In fact, if you were to drive by our campus, it doesn't look overwhelming, even though we have 60 acres of property and we have 20 kids on our campus right now. Um, our homes, however, are large. Um, most of those homes that you see up there have at least 13 bedrooms and nine bathrooms. doesn't look like that from the roadside. Uh, that's a lot to clean and it does house a lot of kids and so you go in and you're a bit overwhelmed with how much space there is there. If you'll move on to the next slide, we also believe uh, that there is more to growing up and moving through problems in children than simply providing a home for them to live in. And so what we've done is embarked on, on something that's somewhat new to us and that is horsemanship therapy. Now we've had horses on our campus for some time, uh, but in the last 12 months we have sent three of our staff members to be certified in equine 
equine-assisted psychotherapy. And, and essentially what that means is the use of those animals, the use of, uh, of horses, to modify the behavior of children. Now let me tell you, we have one horse on our campus, Tabby, who is um, an abused animal herself. And I, I can't tell you how closely children immediately relate to that animal uh, because they feel like they have a connection with that animal already. You know, when kids come to our campus, many, many times they've been abused, sometimes physically or emotionally, or, or certainly neglected. And so for them to become close all over again with another adult is just something they do not want to do. They're about an arm's length away from most adults. But they will open their heart and open their life to a horse very, very quickly. And that's an opportunity for us to use those animals to change and modif modify their behavior. Now, we live in the Midwest. You were surprised by the snow, right? Uh, unfortunately, in the Midwest, generally speaking, there are only three good riding months a year. Now, I had to be really careful when I said that in 2012 because, as you'll remember, we didn't have rain for, oh, what, about nine months out of the year. So there was never a wet period. But most springs are wet. Sometimes the fall is wet. The winter is always cold. And until our expansion project, we did not have an indoor riding arena for our horsemanship program. But we have expanded now. And you will see pictures up there of actually two two facilities. The larger of the two is the indoor riding arena. It's not quite finished yet. In fact, that may be some place that you are working when you come uh, in a couple of weeks or three weeks and, and uh, put your uh, put feet to your faith. I love that phrase. Um, the other photo that you see up there is our school building, however. We have been operating a high school on our campus now for three academic years. Um, Children that come to our campus, we ask them to, if they're of high school age, to at least spend the first half of their year, one academic semester, in our campus school. Now, that helps us to emphasize the rules that are at home in the classroom as well. Um, many of the children that come to us, as you can imagine, are, are very far behind academically. And sometimes, because our campus is, is one teacher and one aide on about six or seven children, depending upon how many we have that are of high school age at the time, we can move them. Uh, very quickly from one grade level to another, sometimes as many as two grade level levels in a single year. And so we're really trying to help them academically as well. Now, right now, that campus school meets in the basement of one of our residential homes. One classroom, six or seven kids, all with learning disabilities of some sort, ADHD, uh, one teacher and one aide. You can imagine how difficult that is. And they deserve more than that. So our new campus school is going to give them a library, uh, an industrial-sized kitchen, which is important because we're teaching them life skills as well. Many of these children don't have a home to return to, so they need to learn how to cook something in their own kitchen. They need to learn how to operate on a budget. They they need to learn simpler kinds of things than are sometimes taught in our high schools publicly. And so we're excited about that. We teach them Bible. They are tested in Bible. That's another place that we get to introduce that foundation to them on our campus as well. If you move on to the next slide then, uh, we believe in healthy relationships that come from house parents. And again, I, I mentioned the model previously of, of kind of this institutional kind of thing. But I have to tell you this, and it's unfortunate, but I'm going to say it just outright. We believe that a family ought to be one man and one woman married only to each other. Okay, we believe that, and, and that's the way we operate. And um, it, we also believe that they ought to love God and they ought to love kids. And so that's our criteria. Uh, before people come to work on our campus, <laughs> we want to make sure that those things are true because we believe that's the way God designed families to be, and that's where our healthy relationships are built. Moving on to the next slide then, we believe that we need to teach God's unconditional love. That's another part of our mission statement, and there's multiple ways to do that. We certainly do that through our horsemanship program. Um, 
the, the uh, photo at the bottom is actually taken not very far from here in the St. Louis Zoo. We took our high school students on a field trip um, a couple of years ago during the academic year to be a part of that. Uh, you'd be surprised many of them have never ventured very far away from home and some of those experiences are brand new to them. Uh, these were the kids that probably were disqualified from going because of their behavior in the high schools or in the grade schools and so they've never had chances just to go to the St. Louis Zoo. Uh, so that was an exciting thing for them. The, the picture over there on on the far, my far left, um, is actually taken in Canada. We have a wilderness interest group, um, and our kids get to participate in that. We have a donor not very far from us who has said, if you can get the kids there, um, I will provide the bait and the lodging and the guide. And so every other year, our kids get to go to Canada for a week. Now, you talk about something that kids feel blessed to be able to do, travel out of the country uh, to be able to go on a fishing trip. We take them out. Uh, it's a very, very remote place. I've been told that you go as far as you can by car and then you get on a four-wheeler and then you go as far as you can until you run out of space and that's where the lodge is <laughs> and so um, we send them out in the morning for a time of morning devotions and and study of God's Word and that's just a picture of that happening a, a place where God can speak to them and talk with them personally about his unconditional love moving on to the last slide oh I'm sorry there is one more that I want to tell you about and that's teaching God's truth and you know, again, you can do that in multiple ways. One of my favorite scriptures is out of Deuteronomy where it says, you know, when do you teach these things? You do it when you're standing up and when you're lying down, when you're walking out the door. Wherever you go, whatever you do, make sure you're teaching God's truths to your children. We do that to the children that are entrusted in our care. We do that through our schoolroom, as you can see up there. Again, Bible is an academic subject for us. We can do that around a card game of Uno very very clearly. Uh, there's a lot to learn about justice and fairness and grace in a card game among kids that sometimes don't get along with one another but we also believe in teaching those kinds of truths to the parents of our children and sometimes that makes us just a little bit different from other children's homes because we do have family development weekends where we ask our families to come onto our campus and our counselor works with them as well they set goals at the time that children are placed with us now I've been telling people who stopped by the table already a lot of times the children that we see come from adults who as children themselves didn't have a really good parental role model and so they don't know exactly how to be a good parent. And so some of our responsibility then is to teach them about the authority that they should have in their home and how to act responsibly. And, and so that's a part of our ministry as well, is, is teaching those adults and, and helping them to reach goals and working with our counselor caseworker in that as well. Now I'm going to show you the last photo, which are pictures of the students that we currently have on our campus. And tell you just a few stories, because I think stories touch our hearts more than anything. You see those three little boys around the Christmas tree they're all brothers. We actually have three, four sets of siblings right now on our campus, as a matter of fact. That's just one. Um, and Matthew is in the middle, and then the two brothers on both sides of him, Andrew and Justin. Um, they came to us just a few days before Thanksgiving, not this past year, but the year before. And they had been living in a motel room with mom and as many as five other adults. Um, and at the time, you can imagine what meals are like in a hotel room. The best you can hope for is a cardboard box out of a microwave that you sit on the bed uh, to eat. And that's that's may, maybe what you would get for the evening if it's not a bag of chips or a, a beef jerky stick. And that's basically what they were used to. When they came to our house and Mama Jean fixed a meal for them and they all sat down to eat together, that oldest brother, Matthew, did not miss a beat most evenings to stand right up and say thank you for such a delicious meal because he didn't know that that was normal. 
And so that's one of the things that we have the, the benefit of being able to do is open children's eyes to what a normal family ought to be. You'll see the picture of, of Caleb just beneath them. Now that looks like a simple school photo, and it is. But let me tell you, Caleb came to our office <laughs> quite honestly looking much like Pigpen from Peanuts. He was really surrounded by a cloud of dust. If you were to touch him, I really believe that dust probably would have flown out of his jeans. His shoes were held together by duct tape. He looked like he probably hadn't bathed in a very, very long time. And when he was asked to use our restroom, unfortunately, our business manager had to go in after him and clean up because he just didn't have any respect for much of anything, including himself. But that picture shows a smiling face. It shows white teeth because we took him to the dentist. It shows a kid with a haircut and someone who cares about his hygiene. In fact, he now uses hair gel. <laughs> Caleb really likes who he is now. And his whole self-image has changed. And, and teaching kids that they have worth, that, that God made them special and you unique. That's really a part of our ministry as well. Um, just one more story, and, and then I'll, I'll sit down. But that middle photo is of Jordan. He is also one of two brothers uh, on our campus. His older brother is Chris, and they're both very, very good athletes, and that's what we try to build capacity in them. Um, you know, when when kids come to our campus, they kind of have to um, tell the, the counselor, you know, this is what I like, this is what I'm good at, and we, we want to build that capacity, whatever that is. Well, most of the time kids come in, they'll say, I'm good at video games, because they've been left alone most of their lives, and that's what they've perfected very well, but otherwise, they don't really know what any kind of worth in themselves is all about because they've been told that they're not good at much. Jordan, however, is very good at sports. And he plays summer league baseball. And I had the opportunity uh, a couple summers ago to take him to sports camp, which is a part, uh, a ministry of my church. And um, we were on our way there. And Jordan said, Miss Amy, I had the best dream last night. I said, you did, Jordan. What was that? He said, I dreamed that I got to play for the St. Louis Cardinals and I met Albert Pujols. And he was so excited, eight years old, telling me that story. And, you know, I think, even though he was in the backseat of the car, I think he probably noticed that I had to hold back tears because I realized that this young boy probably never would have dreamed such a very, very big dream without the help of the Oblong Children's Christian Home. I don't know that his mom has any idea what kind of skill he has because she never took the time to invest in who he is. And so for me to be a part of a ministry that does that kind of thing, that is an incredible blessing. So, um, you know, very clearly and very quickly, we provide family-style homes, we build healthy relationships, we teach God's truth, and we develop in children the skills and the abilities that God has already placed within them. They just need help in, in profounding those a little bit. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell a little bit about our ministry. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that with a few others during the light lunch, and uh, that would give you a chance to ask questions and, and uh, find out more about what we do, too. Thank you, Amy. So I guess the, the next question is, now what? You know, what do, what do we do from here? Um, we've got lots of um, ideas, and what we want to do is to invite you guys to participate with us and be a part of this as well. Um, like she said, we will be having a um, light lunch at the church office. Um, we invited our, our Krabby students and their families, and if anybody else is, you know, is here and is interested and wants to be a part of it, come on out. We'll have some food, and uh, we'll get a chance to get to know a little bit more about the ministry. Um, the funny thing is many of you are sitting here at this moment not really knowing that you've already been volunteered to help. Did you know that? We had a planning session and many of your names came up. Hey, this person can do this. So just so you know, some students may be coming to you and saying, would you like to help us out? Um, we need lots of help and we want to do this as a, as a church as well. So um, talk to us. We'll move forward. Um, and uh, right now let's pray together over uh, the ministry and everything that's going on in Oblong. 
Father, uh, we continue to worship you this morning and, uh, and to, to give you praise for who you are. Um, what a neat opportunity to be able to hear about work that's going on that uh, it's a good possibility we never would have uh, would have known of and never would have been in contact with if you wouldn't have crossed our paths. And uh, I love to hear the stories of, of the lives that are being changed. And um, Father, I know that you've been working a long time at Family Bible Church uh, to make uh, young people important. And uh, and there's so many things that are already happening in and around Family Bible Church where uh, people are seeing the the need to help young people and the need to step up and and uh, to love on them and to support them and, and uh, to do the things that Amy's been talking about. We pray right now that you would guide us as we move forward um, with our involvement with Oblong. And um, we love the, the things that are happening, and, and, and we love the fact that, that you love in a way that we can't even imagine, Lord, and, and to be able to share that is just an amazing thing with these young students, these young children. Uh, Father, we love you, and we give you praise for this day, and we need to just continue in worship together in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to continue in our series called What's Next. I hope that whenever, I'm so glad that Amy came today. I hope that when we hear these stories, I don't know if you hear the same story over again about God caring about his people, um, about us being in this together. I love that Amy said what the church is doing. We may never see each other again, but we might. And uh, what a privilege it is to serve together. The chances that we get to do small things, the thing that God called us to do, that's a blessing to someone else, is... Um, work that only he can do among his people, and uh, I'm just so excited about that. And that's actually what we're talking about this week, as God would have it. Um, this week, we're talking about teamwork, right, or teamworks, you know. Um, we've been studying the book of Joshua, and it's kind of funny because the book of Joshua is named Joshua. <laughs> so if you, if you read that, you could easily think, well, this book is about a person, Right? this awesome follower of God named Joshua. But the truth is that Joshua is first and foremost about God and about God's people. And today we're going to see in the Word that that's exactly what God is after. Not Joshua, but the people that he's calling to after himself to his name. And um, that's an awesome thing to keep in mind. Some of you, by the way, have been asking me, so how long are we going to spend in the book of Joshua? <laughs> Because you're thinking, man, we've been, we've been four weeks and we're out of the first chapter yet, but it's going to pick up. I want you to recognize in Scripture that there's always time to do, and I'm not talking about my preaching because believe me, I know, right? But there's always time to do what God wants to do. And never doubt, did you hear the song today, while we wait on the Lord, never doubt the seasons of pre preparation, of, of getting ready for what God has for you, for us, for his church. There's always time to be ready, to get ready with God. And that's what I think this opening chapter's been about, is God preparing his people. So we're going to do that right now as we enter into God's word. We're going to do what we always do. We're going to ask him to prepare our hearts and minds to hear it, that it wouldn't be just a book or just a lesson or just a, a, a nice talk, but it'd be words that we would apply to our lives. And I think today in particular is very hard to live out in our culture. So please join me in prayer if you would. Uh, Father God, we thank you for this chance to come together in your name to worship you, to celebrate the things that you are doing and to make you famous in the whole world. 
Father, we, we live in this little place in Illinois, Highland, in our home here with our family that we love and our friends, and yet your kingdom is over all the earth and, in fact, all creation. Uh, and, and it's so much bigger than we can imagine. Today, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the magnitude of your gospel, that, that you would allow our hearts to be open to maybe truths that we don't want to hear, and that more than anything else, your spirit would compel us, would form us, would change us to be more like your son and our Savior, Jesus, the only one we know who's done this right. We pray that we would be open to your word today and that you would teach us directly by your spirit. We thank you so much for the work you're doing here in our lives individually and our lives together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to jump in right into uh, Joshua. So if you brought a Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to the book of Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Bible, not the fifth. I almost said fifth. Um, and we're going to pick up in verse 10. We haven't missed any verses yet, by the way, and um, we're probably not going to, but we're going to go ahead here. And we're going to talk through this. So, so far, God's been talking a lot to Joshua about getting ready. We've heard a lot about Joshua's story of what's next for him. But I want you to see what happens in, in verse 10. Some things begin to change. And, and God says this. He says, uh, he had told Joshua to be strong and courageous. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here and go in to take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. You know, last week we talked about those six through nine, those three verses, and I said, what's prominent? You know, as we enter into this next section, notice the pronoun there. Joshua goes to the people and he says, you will enter the promised land. God is giving it to you, and it's going to be your home. You will live there. It's your promise from God himself. The pronouns are you, 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 right off the bat. And, and, and this is Joshua bringing this word to them. And like I said, we could think it's about Joshua, but it's really not. It's about God and his people. You see, and, and one of, I think the first lessons that we see here in this section of scripture is that no one succeeds on their own. Like, no one succeeds by themselves. You, you know, you can imagine Joshua having heard from God, be strong and courageous, you will inherit the promised land. Joshua could have just gone off and marched straight ahead, right? He could have been like, I'm the man, I'm going to go do this. He does not do that. He turns to the people of God and says, you are part of God's plan. You are the people of promise. When I stand up here each week and I speak to all of you, my heart's cry is for each one of you to know that you are important to God and that this is important for you to hear in your heart and mind. Not what I'm saying, but what, the, what God is saying to you, what the Lord is doing in your life. Eyes to see and ears to hear in the world and in this place. His calling for you. His passion for you. No one succeeds alone. In fact, and I, I want you to see that God's people uh, live and die together. Let's read on. It says in verse 12, But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses' servant um, of the Lord gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. That's what Moses said. Your wives, your children, your livestock will stay in this land. And Moses gave you this place east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers. It's a, it's a work of a community of faith. Also, I notice in, that Joshua goes to the officers, and the officers go to the people. 
A lot of times we might see that, we see like a hierarchy, but it's about this inclusive conversation. Amy said something interesting earlier. She said something about parents affirming their children. And it was kind of convicting when I hear it. Because I feel like we do these things, but do we really pass that on to the next group of people? You know? Like we know what we want to do. Or maybe what's worse is we know what others ought to do. But are we doing it in our own homes? This model that Joshua gives us when he comes from the Lord is he says, he says, you know, the people in charge, go, you're going to take the promised land. And those people go tell someone else, you're going to take the promised land. And it becomes this inclusive story that no one is going on their own. I, I make a point of this uh, right off the bat, and I said this is going to be a hard thing for us in our culture, because one thing, and I, you know, I, I went to Greenville College, and that's just a confession, it's the truth, but one thing they push, yeah, I know, I love it, right? But one thing they push there at Greenville College is that we have lost a sense of community. We say things here in Highland, like we live in a nice community, but I see so many people who are out on their own. When people come here to our community, you know what they say a lot? I'm an outsider. I don't belong. You know, something we've noticed at Family Bible Church here is a lot of the folks that are drawn to us are people who can't find a place they belong in this community. The truth is that in God's people, it's all about the community. It's about the work that's going on. You know, it's funny because there was this kind of concept that was challenged when I was at Greenville College called um, rugged individualism right? I mean, we are proud people. We, we, we like to do things ourselves, you know? We, we don't like to ask for help from anybody. It's a humiliating thing to have to go and ask someone for help. It's a dangerous thing to go to someone and say, I need you. Even sometimes in, in intimate places like our marriages, it's hard to say, I need your help. Sometimes when we're struggling with a particular um, uh, issue we're facing, wh whether it's you know um, something as simple as schoolwork or class, to not feel like you're smart enough to do it, to, to something as devastating as, as, as a, a personal injury you've been through, you know, the story about the injured horse, who couldn't relate to the injured horse? Who, who wouldn't right away see that horse and go, man, that's how I feel sometimes in life, just beat up? How do you make that next step to reach out and say, I need some help? We live, in a, we live in a culture that, that, that kind of shuns people that look for help, that, that doesn't affirm this truth that we are together, the people of God. Many times we go then without help. And, and my question uh, for this first kind of few verses here is, you know, what battles are you still choosing to fight all alone? You might be sitting there and you're going, no, I'm, I got some friends, I got some people. I can tell you that my days are filled with people talking to me about how lonely they are, how hard it is, how no one understands what I'm going through. Yet the truth is that so many times we choose, and I'm telling you, church, right now this morning, the worst. I'm the worst at not, at not being able to say, I need some help with this. I was preparing this morning to preach this word, and, you know, God's spirit is no respecter of persons. And I was sitting there, and, and I was praying through, and I was reading Joshua and all this, and, and, and I was challenged with this question. You know, there was this great time in my life when I was following Jesus 
that I was allowed to ask any question I wanted. I loved it. When I was a green vlog, I could ask any question I wanted. I could be that crazy guy that would have the crazy idea on the outside. And somehow, whenever I come into this role as a pastor, I stand here and I feel like I've gone on the wrong side of the desk and I have to have all the answers. It's not what the gospel says. It says God has all the answers. He challenged me and he's like, what, what do you think has changed really with you? Nothing. Too many times we, we're afraid to sit on the side of the desk that has the questions, you know? How does that work? Why is things, are things like this? And, and you know what's funny is, in, in the end, then we choose to kind of suck it up and pretend and go on. The question is, what battles are you choosing to still fight alone? And then the second question is, why? I mean, do you believe that God's people are a gift to you? Do you believe that opportunities like family groups are a gift to you? Times of worship on a Sunday morning are a gift to you? It's a real tragedy if we come and go out of this place and we don't recognize how much God has given us in each other. And the worst of this is to not only go it alone without others, but to try to go it alone without God. Well, the next thing, we kind of already got into it, was in, in verse 12. He says, but to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, right? The Lord your God is giving you this rest and has granted you this land. But then he goes on to say in verse 15, you are to help your brothers, though. Your fighting men go ahead until the Lord gives them rest, and as he has done for you, and until you, they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord their God has given them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. This is interesting because you can imagine, and I kind of mentioned it already, but these, these folks were getting ready to enter the promised land. But what had happened was there were some people groups who were going to live right there. Like, they didn't have to fight anymore. They didn't have to go to war anymore. They, this was the land. They were kind of already, they're like, yeah, this is the place that Moses said was ours, right? Where we're all standing, you know? And, and there's this command from Joshua, and he says, listen, you are not going to rest here. In fact, he says that you're going to go ahead of your brother's. There's this principle that, and this is what I feel like we're constantly challenged with as followers of Jesus, because there's this temptation to say, we made it, and kind of and just sit back and, and take it easy. But what Joshua teaches us is that, that no one rests until everyone rests. He's saying to the people of God that you will enter the promised land, and you're going to fight, but you're not going to fight for the land that you've already gotten. You're going to fight for the land that your brother, your sister will get. As a matter of fact, if you read that, and it's, it's in there, and it's one of those things where you can read that, and I've read it quite a few times, but I never noticed it before. You can read it and just say, oh, well, they're all going to the promised land. No, some of those guys are going to go fight and die for the promised land, and then they're going to come, they're going to have, you know, come back home. They're going to give their lives for their brothers. See, no one rests until everyone rests when they enter the promised land. The question that we're asking in this series is, what's next for you? What is God calling you to do in your life? And many of you, maybe you're like me, and you hear that question, you go, you know, God's got me in a really good place. 
you know, I used to struggle with these problems. I don't have those problems anymore. I used to have all this. Things are going pretty well. And we can become comfortable. But the question is, is there someone that needs your help? Is there someone that needs you to not rest yet? Maybe, in fact, those things that God has brought you through is the exact thing. I wonder how much encouragement it would be to see for, for the people of Israel to see those men who were given this land, they could have, they, they could have just been like, settle right here, and they're like, we're going to go ahead of you into battle because God has not fulfilled his promise to you yet, and we're going to be part of that promise. There's nothing quite as encouraging to Chris and I as parents as to whatever we're given some encouragement by a parent who's gone before us. I mean, they could easily sit back and say, woo, we made it. You know what I mean? We survived it. And they don't. They come back and they say, yeah, we've been through that. How can we help you get through it? That's a blessing. Maybe you struggle with drug addiction in your life. And God brought you through drug addiction. I know some of your stories are like that. Instead of just being like, hey, I made it. I'm out. You know, that's good. Praise God. Maybe you need to go back and say, you know what? God can get you through this. I've been through that. Maybe, maybe you've come through your marriage on hard times and God's delivered you. That's a hard thing, isn't it? Because you gotta go back and be honest. Say, I've been through that. God brought me through it. Or maybe God's bringing us through it right now. I told you this story before, I believe, but, and this is a powerful moment and I keep telling you, that's why I keep telling you this story because there was a day, this changed my whole life. I mean, this changed my whole life. There was a day I walked in the church one day and I was kind of like, I don't know where you guys are today, but I was kind of sitting out there and I was watching the clock and I'm, oh boy, this is good. And I, and at the end of the service, I told the pastor, he said, well, what do you think, Bill? He said, what do you think, Bill? He didn't say, what do you think about the service, by the way? He said, what do you think? And I said, no, I didn't get much out of this today. And he, he was offended. And in this moment of offense, the Holy Spirit used him to speak into my life, and he said, maybe you didn't come today to get something, but to give something. How many of you have thought that today? Maybe God didn't come here to have something given to you, but you can give something to someone else. Man, that changed my whole life. I show up at every service of worship, every project, every opportunity to say, what can I do? How can God use me in this situation? And I'm not perfect at it, but I'm trying. You can too. question that this prompts in my mind is, who could you and I be fighting for today? Man, I, you know, the orphans and widows is like, it's biblical, <laughs> So are families. So is Relevant Pregnancy Options Center, you know? So, so are those families afflicted with cancer and their children. So are those people who are lonely, just desperately lonely for someone to care, to listen. Who could you be fighting for today? One of the fundamental questions the Bible asks is asked by the first um, generation, and, and um, it's after the first egregious sin of murder. And Cain says, uh, am, am I my brother's keeper? And the whole rest of the Bible says, yeah. Yes, you are. People of God, 
We are called to, call, to care for one another, to fight for one another. I hope today you can ask that, who could I be fighting for today? And then we're going to wrap up here. Check it out. Verse 16, read with me. Then they, in, they, then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Not, only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Right? And this is a weird verse because it sounds very much like, you know, you know, uh, we're 100% with you, Joshua. This sounds exactly like we want to do. But the truth is, that when I read this, this is shocking to me because these folks chose to submit to Joshua's leadership. And, and um, I always think, man, what is it about that God's constantly calling us to submit to one another? As a matter of fact, we talked about this before. We've read this in Ephesians. And, uh, and, and we... We ask the question, you know, what is it about submission that brings glory to God? Brings glory to God. You know, these folks have been in the desert and they could have refused. They could have said, especially the people who were settled there, they could have just refused it. But they said, whatever you command, we're going to do. We're going to be obedient. It's kind of a tricky thing to see because sometimes submission in our culture, especially, it's like weakness, doesn't it? person's weak, they're giving in. I want to walk this out for a minute because there's a reality that if you believe in God and you're in relationship with him and you've prayed and, and God's like, you need to give this up. You need to let go of this fight you're having for control or you, you need to, to stop with this, you know, uh, manipulation, this, this, this idea that you know better than God does and submit that that act is more glorifying to God than anything. Because it's not about the person or the people you're submitting to. It's about the truth that you believe that God is sovereign, loving, caring, and he has better plans for you and I than we have for ourselves. You see, I don't actually see when I preach this, it's kind of weird to preach because I don't see this could be turned into the whole thing of like, well, the pastor's Joshua. It's obvious who you are in a story. You know, I feel myself in the role of the Israelites and I, I'm, I'm not bent towards submission. Someone says, I feel like God's calling us to do this. I feel in my heart like there's this, this struggle. Is that really? Can, can we let go of that and see what happens? I believe Fundamentally, that submission to one another brings glory to God. The funny thing is here, they say, we're going to obey you like you obeyed Moses. And I wonder if that was good news for Joshua. Because you remember the desert stories, how obedient these people were to Moses, you know? They were like, stone him, let's go back to slavery. <laughs> you know what I mean? These weren't the most obedient people ever. And yet, and this is interesting, here they were on the threshold of the promised land. Because somehow by the grace of God, all their insolence, all their, you know, kind of uh, desire to not, to not have to, to be obedient had resulted in some form of obedience. I think we're the same way. Do we obey perfectly? No, I don't. But I pray to God by his grace and mercy, by the power of his spirit, that I be led to more and more forms of obedience in my life. And that somehow by the grace of God, there will be a day where I'll be on the threshold saying, 
I'm going to keep obeying you. Like I always have. I'm sure God snickers and says, okay, child. But they chose in the end to trust in the Lord. Look at where they wrap it up. They say, only may the Lord be with you as he was with Moses. They say, our hope, Joshua, is not in you or your leadership, but the God who is commanding your life. They're following not Joshua, but the, but the God who is leading Joshua, the Lord their God. And their confidence is not in him. I want you to see it. It's right there in verse, um, let's see, 17. Only may Yahweh, your God, be with you like he was with Moses. They're like, the God who brought us this far is the God that we are counting on. And then, this is interesting, they pair it back, these words that Joshua's heard five times now. They say again, be strong and courageous, Joshua. Powerful, powerful stuff. They chose to trust God. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, reads this way, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is written in the context of marriage and the Christian community. It's written in the context of conflict in the church and encouraging one another in obedience. But here it is in the sixth book, the same principle. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. God is worth the risk. The question that I'm going to finish up with is this. Where is our pride? And that's what it is. A lack of willingness to submit is pride. And where is our pride standing in the way of God's success? Where are those areas that he would say, if you'd only let it go, if you'd only trust me, if you'd only believe, I could have success in your life. Some of you here today are, are still choosing to do it alone. I mean, I know it. I talk to you all the time. <laughs> and, and you're just choosing to, 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 to you know, battle on. I just don't think it's going to work. And the biggest tragedy of all is that this attempt to fight our way to the finish to have our way in our lives, to control everything, drains all the power from the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Jesus is about work that God did, not what we're going to do. And it's about receiving a gift, not earning a spot. And it's about believing in a promise and not getting what we deserve. The truth is that many of us are refusing God himself in our lives and saying we can do it. We won't submit to one another nor to you. But I believe that the gospel of Jesus proclaims that none of us do it alone. I'm going to invite you again. If that's you and you're here and you're just trying to find a way that you would believe God, you would submit to his authority, you would confess your hopelessness without him and believe that he will deliver you. He will do it. Please pray with me. Father, today for the work you've done here amongst your people, I give you thanks and praise for the way that your spirit is moving in our lives, our hearts and minds. Even if we only see it a little bit, we give you thanks and praise because we know you are so much bigger than we can imagine. 
I pray, Father God, for those of us who have this tendency to want to do it alone, to want to go our own way, that you would continually call us home to your people. I pray, Father God, a thanks, a prayer of thanks for your people, for their great love, their encouragement, their, their patience, their enduring for the sake of others. And I pray, Lord God, today, that if there are those here today that don't yet trust you, trust in the power of the cross, trust in the forgiveness of their sins and their ultimate value to you, that they would do so today. May your spirit continue to prompt them to believe the good news. Today, Father God, for those of us who've maybe begun to kind of slide away or walk away or kind of distance ourselves from the gospel, I pray we'd be drawn nearer today and that we would continue to fight for those who don't yet know your love. I thank you so much for your witness today, for the way you've worked among us. I give you praise and glory for this. And I pray that today as we, uh, as we seek you, you would be found. We pray this prayer in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.